0: Good morning. I apologize. I uh, had neglected to get that set up earlier. It is a blessing to be here. Uh, I know we have many who are away with sickness or for other reasons. um, But what a blessing that God has given us, um, that we have a spiritual family. We have uh, a flock, uh, a body that we can be part of. um, Most of all, that he is the head of that body that he is the head of that family, that he is the shepherd of that flock. Um, Praise God that we can have that fellowship with one another through him. We've been talking uh, for the past couple months about the concept of God's church versus my church. Uh, What is it that we're looking for in the church? And really the more important question, what is it that God is looking for in his church? Are we seeking simply what what pleases us, uh, what our desires are, uh, or are we genuinely seeking what his design, what his plan, what brings pleasure to him is within his church? We talked about that in aspects of uh, the church's treasury, how we use our our funds, the work of the church. We talked about it in evangelism. We talked about it in worship. But today I want to talk about God's church versus my church in the context of doctrine. Um, And specifically, we're going to address the concept of tradition versus truth. The word tradition is a very loaded word. Um, For many, the mere mention of tradition either stirs up feelings of comfort and security and familiarity, or maybe it stirs up thoughts of old-fashioned stifling rigidity and pointless ritualism. Tradition in one form or another is something we're all familiar with. Maybe uh, it is your family traditions. Maybe it's national or cultural traditions or religious traditions. But how we feel about those traditions, uh, even how we should feel about those traditions, is going to depend largely on exactly what those traditions are and where it is that they're coming from. Tradition itself is neither good nor bad. It's kind of like the word doctrine. Is doctrine a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it it entirely depends. The Bible is going to talk to us about false doctrine. It's also going to talk to us about sound doctrine. Doctrine within itself is a, a neutral word. Tradition within itself is a neutral word. It is neither good nor bad within itself. It entirely depends on where it is coming from. The word tradition in our New Testaments, the Greek word paradosis, literally just means a handing down or over, a transfer, a transmission, or tradition. So the value of tradition is really entirely dependent on what it is and where it is being handed down from. So by entitling this sermon Tradition versus Truth, we're not intending to imply that those are two mutually exclusive categories, uh, that anything true cannot be traditional or anything traditional cannot be true. That's obviously not the fact at all. Rather, we're trying to address uh, instances in which our personal traditions may come in conflict with the truth or are placed on equal plane with divine truth. And so for clarity's sake, it might be helpful to start off by emphasizing the point that some tradition originates from God. Tradition is not always a bad thing. In fact, sometimes it is a very good thing. Sometimes it is essential to fulfilling God's will within our lives. Consider 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul writing here says, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Some traditions should not be abandoned or broken, but rather held fast to, stood firm upon. Some things have been handed down to us by spokesmen of the Lord himself. Later on in 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul again says, now we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. There are some areas in which being traditional or non-traditional are not matters of preference or opinion. They are matters of fellowship. And not just matters of fellowship, with one another, but matters of fellowship with God. If we're not following the traditions that he has handed down to us and we're not in fellowship with him, then we're not truly his people. If we kick back against any and every traditional mindset, we may very well find ourselves kicking back against God himself. And so we need to be careful that we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There are some traditions that we must stand firm in, that we must hold fast to. Traditions uh, that uh, come from the Lord in which our fellowship with God is at stake. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse 2, Paul begins this chapter Uh, by telling the Corinthians, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to to their traditions just as I delivered them to you. Uh, It was praiseworthy that they were holding fast to the traditions that Paul had passed down to them from the Lord. In fact, later in this very chapter, you know what one of those traditions is that Paul refers to? Verse 23 and 24, Paul says, for I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a tradition, right? It's something that was handed down. Um, well, you, you might say, well, well great, that's, that's just tradition, Uh, You know, Christians have been doing that for a thousand years. We need not to get so stuck in the same old ritualistic pattern. We need something fresh and new. Really? (laughs) No, this is a tradition from the Lord. Commemorating the Lord's Supper is not just a tradition because it's something that somebody came up with somewhere along the way and said, well, I think that would be a good idea. No, this came directly from Jesus himself. Just because something has been passed down again and again, uh, you know, doesn't mean that, that well, that, that's just, oh, that's the way we've always done things. Some things are the way we've always done things because it comes from the Lord, right? And so we need to make sure that when it comes to what Jesus has passed down to us, We're standing firm in that. We need to make sure that we're not kicking back against all tradition. Because we may very well be kicking back against the Lord. Um, This is not a tradition that Paul or some church leader or council came up with. It came from Jesus himself. Paul made a point to emphasize the divine origin of all the traditions that he preached. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter one, starting in verse 10, verse 10 here is is really the passage that we have uh, kind of focused on in this series, but I want us to to read the larger context. Galatians one, starting in verse 10, we'll read through verse 17. Paul says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. What What's the point that Paul is making? Here... Um, Paul wasn't about to pass on some man-made tradition or some men-pleasing dogma. He had been down that road before. He had been very zealous for the traditions of his fathers. But what he was bringing to to them now was not coming from the Jewish scribes and leaders, was not coming from man. It was coming directly from the Lord. And he's making sure they understand that. He's emphasizing that. Um, Jesus had opened his eyes. What he was now teaching was not according to man. It was not the product of flesh and blood, but a revelation of Jesus Christ. And he goes to great lengths to say, listen, I didn't even talk to the apostles. I didn't receive it from any human being. It was from the Lord. As we read from other passages, Paul was not anti-tradition, right? Paul, we, we just read Second Thessalonians and 1 Corinthians. Paul stands very firm In tradition. But what kind of tradition? Tradition that comes directly from the Lord, that is passed on from his mouth. He was a strong advocate for divine tradition. And so that's the conflict we find spoken of in scripture. It's not simply tradition versus truth, but rather man-made tradition versus divine truth. Um... And so we can't just take an anti-traditional mindset and end up where we need to be. Um, That's not a safe approach to take. And we can't just take a traditional mindset and end up where we need to be. Um, That within itself is not the measure. Um, It's about where those traditions come from. Because some tradition is opposed to God. Turn back with me to the, the passage Uh, that Mike read for us earlier, Mark chapter seven. We're going to spend quite a bit of time here. And I'm going to start by looking at the latter part of this section, Mark chapter seven, starting in verse nine. Let's read together Mark chapter nine, uh, Mark chapter seven, starting in verse nine. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. What's the problem here? Well, ultimately, they are setting aside the commandment of God. They're rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish their traditions. He says they're making void the word of God in verse 13 um, by their traditions. Um, Jesus gives us one example of that here. The Jews had a tradition uh, in which people could declare certain possessions or certain portions of their wealth as given to God or what they called korban. You know, that sounds like a good and pious thing to do, right? To to dedicate some of of our possessions of our wealth to the Lord. The problem was that the Jews uh, allowed and even pressured people into circumventing the God-given responsibility of providing for their parents or providing for their families um, by making such an oath as this. And so they took something that may have been you know, a, a good idea, a good practice, giving of your wealth to the Lord, right? But yet they put that to a higher standard than what God himself commanded them to do. Um, the new American standard in verse nine says that they were experts at setting aside the commandment of God. They they figured out ways to get around what God had said by rather holding to their traditions. We read at the end of verse 13, many such things they did. And so this is just one example of a much deeper heart problem. The heart problem being lifting up our own ideas and customs uh, to the level of or beyond the will of God. We need to be careful that our religious traditions are coming from God's word, not conflicting with God's word. We could probably cite a whole host of doctrines or practices throughout church history that may fall into this category. Uh, Things like infant baptism, Uh, sprinkling instead of immersion, the distinction between clergy and laity, the selling of indulgences, the veneration of saints, the rosary. You you could probably think of a lot of things that we could maybe pin on other people uh, as areas that we'd be lifting up man-made traditions above uh, the revelation of God. Traditionally, those who have been influenced heavily by the restoration movement and come from a Church of Christ or Christian Church background, have sought to take a firm stance against such man-made traditions. But we need to recognize uh, that we are susceptible to the same errors. Uh, let, let me give you uh, a few examples uh, of areas that we may fall into this very same problem. You know, we, we I, I'm sure, have all heard the, the five-point gospel message that we need to, to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. Uh, and that, that is true. <laughs> that is biblical. But if we present that as the gospel, um, and, and we go with a traditional outline to present the gospel, we, we may end up finding ourselves skipping over the gospel and only talking about our response to the gospel. Yes, that is our response to the gospel. Yes, we do need to do all of those things, but where is the gospel in that? The good news of what God has done. We're we're just talking about the last part. We're just talking about our response to the gospel. And so uh, we may find ourselves guilty of by following some traditional outline, circumventing what all of Acts 2 is about just to talk about the last two verses. So we can find ourselves guilty of the same types of things. We may rightly call our ministers preachers instead of pastors. But if we regard them as employees of the church and trust them with the type of work that pastors or deacons are designed to fulfill, we may be confusing correct terminology with correct practice. And developing traditional expectations that are not in line with God's design for his body. And so we are susceptible to the same error. We we have uh, traditions of of ways that we talk about things or ways that we have done things, ways that we present things. That if that becomes the standard, instead of looking to God's word, we can find ourselves uh, glossing over or, or corrupting aspects of what should be. Um, the gospel pattern, the gospel message. We need to be careful to evaluate every tradition handed down to us, no matter how good or biblical it sounds by the truth of God's word. This is how we've always done things, or this is how we've always presented things, is never a safe place. (laughs) Even if the practice is correct, it must be accepted because we have personally come to see that it is from God not because that happens to be the Orthodox Church of Christ position. I think this is a big danger for our children, for our young people in particular. Um, you know, Many times when, when you're teaching a child, it, it's a whole lot easier to simply help them understand how they're supposed to do something Uh, than it is to walk them through all the reasons why that's how they're supposed to approach it that way, right? Uh, It's a lot more effective, a lot easier to to just get them to understand the what, um, whether or not they understand the entire process that got them there. But what that ends up doing, especially when it comes to teaching the scripture, is we may teach them all the boxes that they need to check, all the motions that they need to go through without them genuinely coming to understand who God is and what he desires for them. Without them genuinely reaching those conclusions on their own from the scripture, instead of simply them coming to understand it because, well, that, that's what we've always done, right? If, if we teach our children to follow the Lord because this is what the church teaches and you need to be conservative and hold to it. Uh, there's going to come a time where they will realize um, that that's, that's not genuine. That, that's not built on the foundation of the Lord. Uh, and so we need rather to take the time to invest the time to teach our children from the ground up, a respect for God's word. And help them draw those conclusions from God's word. I'll say this is this a big challenge, especially uh, for me, uh, preaching at a young age. I, I knew the conclusions that I was supposed to have, right? I, I knew uh, what, what I was supposed to be teaching. And many of those things I hadn't studied through on my own. Uh, it's easy to rush into teaching things uh, because I know that's what I'm supposed to teach. Instead of taking the time to make sure that that's genuinely coming from the Lord. Um, and many of those traditions are coming from the Lord. I just need to make sure that I know that's where it's coming from and not from somewhere else. So some tradition is opposed to God. We need to be very careful about not allowing uh, our traditions to, to get in the way of what God desires for us within his word. But I want to talk about a third area. Some tradition is optional in serving God. Look back here in Mark chapter 7. And let's read now verse 1 through 8. Starting in verse 1, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold through the tradition of men. What's the problem here? Was the tradition of washing hands somehow violating God's will? Did God want them not to wash their hands? Uh, no, in fact, washing their hands was probably a very good thing, not only for hygienic reasons, but but it shows a genuine concern for uh, spiritual defilement, for wanting to make sure that they're not ceremonially unclean. Uh, it seems that, that that would have been the motivation behind a lot of these practices that he goes on to talk about, the washing of different dishes. They're trying to make sure that they are as best as they are able to ceremonially clean. So what is the problem? Well, verse seven and eight identifies the problem to us. They are now teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. They leave the commandment of God to hold through the tradition of men. They're lifting up their man-made traditions that, that are not wrong within themselves, but they're lifting it up to the level of, of divine truth, of spiritual requirement, binding where God had not bound. We, we see a similar concept to this in the practice of circumcision. Uh, Paul often speaks very adamantly against the binding of circumcision upon Gentile Christians. Turn in Galatia, to Galatians chapter 2. Remember in Galatians chapter 1, he had built a case. Listen, none of what I'm preaching is coming from man. It's coming from the Lord. Um, And here in chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he he talks about circumcision here, specifically about the circumcision of Titus, uh, or the lack thereof. Uh, It says in Galatians 2 and verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brethren secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Here, some are pressuring Gentiles to be circumcised, to become like Jews. Um, and Paul says, we weren't going to have that at all. Not for a moment. We, Titus is not going to be circumcised. Um, later on in Galatians chapter five, verse two, Galatians five, starting verse two, he says, look, I, Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. That's pretty strong language. If you accept circumcision, you're obligated to keep the whole law. You've severed yourself from Christ. You've fallen from grace. Well, was circumcision within itself wrong? Paul himself was circumcised the eighth day, right? Uh, And actually, look, look over in Acts chapter 16. Looks at Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. We talked about Titus refusing to be circumcised. Look what Paul does with Timothy. Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Paul, Timothy is severed from Christ. Timothy has fallen from grace if you've circumcised him, right? What's the difference? What's the point here? When when Paul says in Galatians 5, if you accept circumcision, he's saying if, if you're teaching and practicing circumcision as a requirement to be part of God's covenant people, then you've thrown out the gospel. So why in Acts 16 does he then go and have Timothy circumcised? Well, circumcision within itself was not wrong, right? What was wrong is was elevating it to the the point of of divine requirement under the new covenant. And when that was the case, you know, Titus, who is a Gentile, uh, has no Jewish cultural roots, uh, when they're pressuring him to be circumcised, Paul is going to stand firm and say, no, we're not going to have him circumcised. That is not required. We're not going to leave the impression that it is. Timothy, on the other hand, who does have some Jewish roots, who has grown up among culture uh, where his father is a Jew. Um, uh, sorry, his, uh, his mother is a, a Jew, but his father is a Greek. Um, for him... To be most influential, for that not to be a barrier in his uh, ministry among the Jews, Paul goes ahead and has him circumcised. Not because it's a divine requirement, but because in this case, it seems a a wise course of action uh, for his ability to be influential among the Jews. So when it comes to optional traditions, we need to make sure that we don't confuse helpful and unhelpful or wise and unwise with right and wrong. Um, The moment that we start binding where God has not bound, that we take some tradition, maybe it's a good tradition. Maybe there's even some wisdom behind it. Maybe it's helpful in many ways, but if we start treating it as though it is divinely required, then in Paul's words, we become severed from Christ. (laughs) Uh, then we are binding where God has not bound. We're no longer holding fast to the gospel. And brethren, I think this is where uh, we need to be very careful ourselves. Maybe, uh, you know, we're, we're not as inclined to bind our traditions in ways that would violate God's word. But I think it's a huge danger that we elevate our traditions to the point of divine truth. Um, and bind where God has not bound. Let Let me give uh, a few examples uh, where we might fall into this mindset. You know, the name out on our sign, um, Church of Christ, that is a biblical term. That is a biblical name. And on the surface, it communicates who we belong to, who we want to be. We want to be a church that belongs to Christ, that's following Christ, that's honoring Christ. But that is an optional tradition. Uh, The church within the scripture is described by many different terms, church of Christ being one of them. It's also called the the church or assembly of God, uh, the church of God. Um, You know, we could find a whole lot of other Christians, disciples, the bride of Christ, If we and we may argue, uh, we we may argue that there's some wisdom behind using the term Church of Christ. That it's helpful to use the term term Church of Christ. That that's great. But if we view that as some binding term that you can only call yourselves that, we have done exactly what Jesus is teaching against there in in Mark seven. We have taken some human optional tradition and elevated it to the level of divine truth. You know, our our service times, uh, obviously this is not something here that that we've done as traditionally, but, you know, if we think that Sunday morning is the only time, uh, you know, that it can't be Sunday afternoon, or that we have to have two times, Sunday morning and Sunday evening, or if we think it has to be Wednesday night, um, you know, we'll, Those are some good traditions, right? Uh, There's good value in in making many times to get together and maybe starting off our day um, with the Lord, starting off the Lord's day with the Lord. Um, But each group is going to have to determine what what is wisest, what is most helpful for them. Uh, There is some divine tradition there and the pattern that we see on the first day of the week. Um, But not all of that. Is divine tradition. Some of that is optional tradition. You know, the clothes that we wear um, when it comes to the assembly. Traditionally, uh, we we dress up, right? Uh, Maybe in some areas more than others, uh, people are wear wear a suit, wear a tie. Uh, I, I think there's some some good reason behind that, or at least. You know, in some people's minds, there was good reason behind that, that we're trying to communicate the importance of what we're doing. We're trying to uh, communicate the, the reverence that this occasion of assembling together to remember the Lord, to worship him, deserves. Uh, and so just like we would try to communicate that, that importance at a wedding or at a funeral, we try to communicate that importance by what we wear in the assembly. Maybe there's some wisdom behind that, uh, but in some cultures, in some places, among some groups, maybe that just communicates uh, kind of putting on a front. Uh, Maybe that just communicates uh, wealth, putting on appearances, not being authentic. Well, that's certainly not what we want to communicate. And so in each of those cases, just as Paul with the issue of circumcision evaluated with Titus and with Timothy, what's actually going to be most helpful, what's actually going to be wisest here. These are optional traditions we're not going to bind where God has not bound, but we are going to try to do what's going to be wisest in that situation. We're, we're each going to have to, with these optional traditions, we're going to have to consider in our area among these people, what does the name Church of Christ Communicate? And is that what we want to communicate, that we are? Um, among these people, what, what does me wearing a tie communicate? Um, maybe that's going to be different uh, to, to different people, but, but is that what I want to communicate or is it not? Uh, those are things that we're going to have to think through. Let, let me mention one other area of um, optional tradition, uh, and that is our posture in worship. Uh, you know, generally speaking, we, in prayer, bow our heads and close our eyes, right? Well, that, that's not the only pattern that we see within scripture. Uh, we see Jesus lifting his eyes up to heaven, in praying to the Lord, we, we see lifting holy hands in prayer being something both in Old and New Testament talked about, right? We see people prostrate before the Lord. Um, when you think about our song worship as well, I, I think among uh, among m- many of us, the, the idea of lifting our hands in worship seems kind of showy, seems maybe uh, you know inauthentic. Well, that's what you do at a concert. Um, that's a very Biblical posture, though, right? And so, if if I if I have taken uh, my own cultural mindset, my own traditions in that, and let that become the standard, uh, am I elevating human tradition to the level of divine truth? Have I reached those conclusions uh, based on the Scripture, or based on simply what I'm most comfortable with? Uh, and we may determine that in this culture and among these people, that's not actually what's going to communicate what we want to communicate. If that's the case, then let's not do it. Um, but let's make sure that we're trying to be biblical. That we're trying to see things through God's eyes and not just through the lens of our traditions. Um, we, the danger with traditions of option is that we, we start either accepting or rejecting practices simply because they're traditional or non-traditional, instead of honestly evaluating their wisdom and value, honestly evaluating how biblical they are. Um, what one more example? Um, for for many years, the church here, when they were meeting the YMCA, uh, stopped giving an invitation at the end of a sermon. Um, Uh, That wasn't a a regular practice. You know, it was a small group and everybody knew everybody. Uh, You know, the only ones that weren't baptized were little children. Uh, And so it didn't really make sense to to give an invitation for somebody to be baptized when that didn't really apply to anybody there. Um, But over time, that kind of became a tradition. (laughs) Not to give an invitation. Uh, And perhaps there were times where that invitation could have been extremely helpful, where there were people you know, who are struggling and living in sin that needed to come forward and, and confess that um, and that needed that, that conviction. Um, and so what, whatever our traditions may be, we need to evaluate them. We need to make sure that we're not just doing those things because that's become what we're used to and what we do. Uh, that we're constantly reevaluating what's going to be most helpful in our service to the Lord. And so ultimately being traditional or non-traditional is beside the point. Uh, We must be pursuers of truth and wisdom wherever it leads. And there are going to be some areas where we must be traditional. Divine tradition coming from the Lord. Tradition is not an option. We need to stand firm on the tradition of our Lord. There are going to be some areas in which we must not be traditional. Uh, traditions that violate God's word that have been passed down from men that we need to be willing to to get rid of. And there are going to be many areas where we have an option of being traditional or non-traditional and we need to honestly evaluate what's going to be most helpful, uh, most wise in our service to the Lord and make sure that we're not binding where God has not bound. With any tradition, we need to evaluate does it originate from God or from men? Does it conflict with the word of God? Does it promote something unbiblical? Is it wise or unwise, helpful or unhelpful in our service to the Lord? I do want to give an invitation today. Um, If there's anyone here who recognizes that their heart is far from the Lord, um, that their service has more been about following pattern of tradition um, rather than genuinely being who God wants them to be, um, then, then I invite you to repent, to change. And if you need to confess that before these brethren, to ask for, for the prayers, um, God has provided uh, a way in which we can bring our sins and our struggles into the light so that we can help one another as we seek to serve him. If there's anyone who needs the support of these brethren in seeking to make some change in your life, um, won't you reach out for that? Uh, That's God's design. Uh, And I I won't give an invitation for baptism today because I'm looking around and and I see that it it doesn't apply. Um, But the invitation is always open to respond to God's word. Um, to follow God's word uh, and to to make any changes that you need to make. If there's some way that we can help you uh, today and and changing your life uh, and and your heart and being who God wants you to be, uh, that's what we want to do. Uh, If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you make that known at this time by coming forward as we sing together?